for the reading of two verses. And I want to share with you today on something that uh, you may be saying to yourself, oh, you know, come on, Pastor Jeff, don't ruin my party. I don't do anything bad on Halloween. Well, I'm going to call it Unholy Halloween. And I'm going to show you why it's unholy. And I'm going to, first of all, go into the roots of Halloween. So let's pray together and let's ask God to speak to us. For you once were darkness. You didn't just walk in darkness. You were darkness. Whatever you walk in, that's what you are now. But now what are you? Read it to me. Light in the Lord. Well, that was about three of you said it. So let's try it again. You are Now turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. You are light. Now, you know, Jesus told us the same thing. You're the light of the world. Now, he says, you are light when you're in the Lord. You are a light. And then he says in verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But do what, everyone? Expose them. Well, we're going to look at that today. That right there says a lot about Halloween and our place in it. Father, we thank you for the word of the living God. And we pray that, Lord, this church will be a church of light. Not a church of compromise. Not a church that uh, just melds into the world that you can't tell the difference between us and them. But, Lord, light. Because you are light or you are darkness. Lord, bless us to be light in this world. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Can you say to him now, make me a light, Lord. And thank you that I have been lit by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbor, you're a pretty light. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, let me just, uh, let me go into the roots of Halloween our, one of the callings on our church is to share the Word of God, to teach the Word of God, so that it is understood. There is a great, I would say, almost apostasy in many churches in our country today. They're getting rid of the Word. As soon as this Word goes out, deception comes in. And as soon as you put this Word down, you begin to drift. We need to stay with the Word of the Lord. I love the Word. As a matter of fact, I don't want to be in a world without a Bible. I really don't. I cherish this Word, and uh, more than that, I cherish the God of the Word. The God who gave us this Word and the martyrs who shed their blood so that we could have this Word. 66 books. You got your own library in one volume. This is a library of 66 books, and it's there for you to assimilate to keep you steady, to keep you strong, to keep you in the light, to prevent you and protect uh, protect you from deception. And it's a powerful word. I love the word. If you love the word, give the Lord a hand of praise today if you're thankful for the word. Amen. Now, let me talk today about the roots of Halloween and whether believers in Jesus Christ ought to celebrate it. And before you judge me or go, oh, no, you know, here we go, Give me a hearing right now, because I'm going to show you that rather than celebrating Halloween, we ought to be capitalizing on it and redeeming it to win the lost. Now, where did Halloween come from? Let me take you back in history. A few thousand years, 
where there were a people known as Celts or Celtic, C-E-L-T. And I know you would think it would be Celt, but it's not. It's Celt or Celtics. And at one time, they occupied a large portion of Europe. Now, they were very much, the Celts, into occultic things. They believed in stuff like earth gods, various spirits of the forest, sun gods, gifts, or rather elves and demons, but they didn't believe in demons like the Bible presents them. Uh, it was different. So you had these, these superstitions and these beliefs in supernatural creatures. And the Celts had priests that were called Druids. You've heard of Druids. That's where they come from. They were the priests of the Celtic people. And as you know, that October 31st was big on their calendar. They believed uh, that on October 31st, the transition was marked between summer and the darkness of winter. October 31st was a big date to them. And October 31st was also the beginning of the Celtic New Year. On October 31st, they would hold a feast called the Feast of Samhain, S-A-M. H-A-I-N, the Feast of Samhain. And during this feast, they would light a huge bonfire dedicated to Samana. Samana, the Lord of Death, also known as the Grim Reaper, believed to be the leader of ghosts. And they believed this. They believed that on the night of October 31st, the spirits of the dead would rise up out of the graves, shivering with the coming cold of winter and seeking the warmth and the affection of the homes they once lived in. They believed this. And they also believed that along with the spirits of the dead, even darker, more evil creatures filled the night, such as witches, goblins, demons, fairies, and ghouls, all of which gained access to the world of the living on October 31st. It was believed by the time these supernatural visitors reached the door of the places they used to live, their former houses, they would not be happy. And they needed to be appeased. So if not appeased, they would wreak vengeance by destroying crops and killing cattle and generally making life miserable for the people. So the families would do this. The families would prepare a treat from what was most precious to them, food. And why they prepare the treat? They hoped that this would offset any trick the supernatural visitor would want to inflict on them. You know, when I was a kid, my parents had me convinced that Santa was real. And they would put an apple on our table every night, every Christmas Eve night. They put an apple there. And my dad would tell me, now tonight Santa's going to eat it, and we want him to have something when he comes to leave the gifts. So I remember the first thing I did every morning when I was a little bitty guy before I figured it all out, I'd come and look around and see if he'd eaten that apple. And of course, my dad would eat it and leave the core. And when I'd see that eating apple, I'd go, ooh, Santa was here. But, of course, by the time I was five, I figured out it was my dad. You know how I figured it out? I snuck down one Christmas Eve and saw him eating it. <laughs> dad! He said, oh, well, I was going to tell you anyway. But this is what they would do. They would offer treats so that a trick would not be pulled on them by these risen spirits of dead people who used to live there. 
Now, it didn't stop there. Over time, this belief system and these observances grew and evolved. And the fears of these Celtic villagers grew worse. So they decided that to get the best of the ghouls, they would put on masks and they would put on costumes disguising themselves as the spirit beings that they truly believed were out there. So you have the beginning there of this whole idea of putting on the mask of a demon or the mask of the devil or the mask of something evil. They believed that by doing this, they would drive away these spirit beings and they would also take on the character of these spirit beings so that they could fight them on their own ground and on their own turf. They took it a step further. They also carried a turnip or a potato with a fearful demonic type face carved into it in order to intimidate the demons. So we know where the pumpkin came from. It came from way back among the Celts when they would uh, etch or carve a demonic face into a turnip or a potato, donning these costumes, donning these masks so that they could drive away these evil spirits. Now listen, they genuinely were attempting to mystically take on the attributes and the powers of the spirit beings that they believed they were fighting. The costume wearers were called mummers. And these mummers would go from house to house, collecting the treats in an attempt to drive away the spirit beings they were so afraid of. So they would knock on the door with these costumes on, with these turnips or these potatoes with demon faces carved into them, and they would ask for the treat. They believed if they did it, it would drive away the motivation of the true evil spirits. As part of their New Year's ritual, I've already mentioned, they would start bonfires. Let me talk about these bonfires for a minute. These massive bonfires were lit by these Celtic peoples and these Druid priests throughout the countryside of Wales, Ireland, and France, and other parts of Europe. And the villagers would gather and they would dance around these bonfires whose light and heat they believed would enable the sun to endure through the dark, cold winter that was coming. But the huge fires over time began to serve another purpose that was very diabolical. They began to sacrifice in these fires animals and human beings. Now this is a little bit tough and this is kind of dark, but I want you to understand the roots of this thing called Halloween. Because see, when we talk about Christmas, we know the roots. The little baby Jesus, God wrapped himself in flesh and invaded planet Earth from heaven. And God wrapped himself in the form of a little bitty baby. And the angels celebrated his arrival. And his arrival meant peace and goodwill to men. I can celebrate that. But what I can't celebrate is something rooted in demonism and in darkness. These were the dark and demonic beginnings of modern Halloween. Lewis Spence wrote in his book, The History and Origins of Druidism, he wrote this, that on the issue of human sacrifice, practice it, they did. Spence quotes the Roman historian Tacitus as saying, The Druids covered their altars with the blood of captives, both animals and humans. The Druids would carefully watch the writhing of the victims in the fire. And from their death agonies, they would foretell the future of the village. Think about that. you got an animal or a human being, and I don't want to be too graphic, but being burned to death, 
And these Druid priests would watch the way they died, and from there they would prognosticate the future of that village from this horrible, horrific, demonic sacrifice. Now let me uh, summarize the roots of Halloween real quickly for you before we move on. On October 31st, it was a huge on the calendar of the people called the Celts. On that night, they celebrated the feast of Samhain. Huge bonfires would be lit in honor of the Lord of the Dead or the Grim Reaper. They believed that on this night, the spirits of the dead would arise and seek the warmth of the homes they once lived in. The Celts prepared treats to appease the ghosts once they arrived. They eventually donned evil masks and costumes to confuse the evil spirits and actually take on their supposed powers. And finally, people were appointed as mummers who would travel from house to house to collect the treats in an attempt to drive the evil spirits away. Hence the phrase, trick or treat. Now, you say, well, Pastor Jeff, that was then. That's not now. I mean, we just go out to have a good time. We put on costumes. Halloween's a fun time. Well, let's jump ahead to our day for a minute. And let me tell you what goes on on October 31st in reality. And you tell me if we ought to celebrate this as a believer. I know you know now we shouldn't. People who consider themselves witches consider Halloween as the time of harvest celebration. You see, Halloween, this day and this night, is actually the Christmas for witches and Satanists. It's harvest celebration. It's a time of ritual where they rid themselves of personal weaknesses and commune they believe, with the spirits of the dead. Although you really don't commune with the spirits of the dead. When you go off into that, into mediums and conjuring and calling up the spirits of those who have died, you don't ever really talk to them. You're actually conversing and fellowshipping with demon spirits who are masquerading as the spirits of those who have died. Because the Bible is clear. When a human being dies, they either go to a place of torment immediately waiting for the great white throne judgment, if they're a believer in Jesus Christ, they immediately go into the presence of the Lord. There is no purgatory. There is no limbo. There is no soul sleep. There is no walking the earth as a disembodied spirit. It's not real. Amen. Halloween is believed to be the best time to contact those who have passed over or died. This is what the Satanists believe. And two professed witches, Arnold and Patricia Crowther, have testified to such. In 1987, the Los Angeles Times newspaper did an article on a particular witch's coven. Now when I say coven, what I mean by a witch's coven, uh, it means that uh, you have a meeting of those who consider themselves witches, usually numbering 13. And the reporter went among them and did a story on them around Halloween time in 1987. And the reporter wrote these words that on this day, the the attempt to contact the dead will be repeated throughout the Southland today, October 31st, as witches celebrate their most important holiday, Samhain or Halloween, which they believe or when they believe the veil between the worlds becomes thin, making visits with spirits possible. In short, Halloween, while just an innocent night of fun for a lot of people, is actually rooted in demonism and celebrated by the dark side. Now, not only witches celebrate October 31st, 
But Satan worshipers celebrate Halloween as one of their two highest holy days. There are different denominations of Satanists, in case you did not know, who all have different sets of beliefs and traditions. You have one set of Satanists who don't believe in an actual devil, but they believe that Satan is a hidden force in nature, not an actual person. And you know, I have been amazed at what has happened to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in our day. George Barna, the pollster, the Christian pollster, who is constantly polling and taking measurements of the church and what the church is believing, uh, did a poll recently where he said, what do you really think about the person of Satan? Do you believe Satan is real or just a myth or a fable or a figment of the imagination? A huge percentage of those who said, I am an evangelical Christian, a huge percentage said, I don't believe that there is a real devil. I don't believe there is a real Satan. Well, I have a real problem with that. You know why? Because that means that Jesus didn't tell the truth. And that means the Gospels don't tell the truth. Because my Lord Jesus cast out devils all the time. And he warned about this, the devil. Called him a thief and a liar and a murderer. He spoke about the devil and said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven when he was judged. The day came when Satan, the highest archangel created by God, he was named Lucifer, son of the morning, the light bearer. Pride entered his heart, and he ascended on high to literally overthrow God. This is not Brothers Grimm. This is not a fairy tale. This is not something made up. He ascended towards heaven, and God judged him, cast him to the earth. Jesus said, I saw him fall. He became a disembodied spirit. And when you open up the first book of the Bible in the first chapter, and you begin to read, in the very beginning of Genesis, we are introduced to Satan, already judged, already fallen, using the body of a snake to tempt and overthrow God's people and ruin God's creation. He was not a figment. He was not just an idea or a myth or a fable or some silly superstition. Jesus dealt with him as a real person. He said, Satan, I rebuke you. I bind you. He fought him in the wilderness. Paul the apostle called him the devil, fought him as he went on in his travels. The Bible says, be not deceived. The Bible says, you're not battling flesh and blood, but you are battling spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, rulers of the darkness of this world, uh, principalities and powers, talking about the devil. So if you have been deceived, dear Christian friend, not only here, but listening by radio, if you don't believe there's a real devil, you have been deceived by that real devil. No, we know who our enemy is. And if you don't know who your enemy is, how are you going to fight the battle? We have a real enemy. Jesus said that he steals, he kills, he destroys. Peter said he's like a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he may devour or eat alive. He's a real devil, but thank God when Jesus stretched out his hands and his feet and was nailed to that cross and that crimson blood that was innocent blood flowed down that cross, it took the fangs out of the devil. It destroyed death, hell, and the grave. So that now we say, amen. So that now we say, death, where is your sting? And grave, where is your victory? Because Satan has been defeated. But we take him very seriously. We take him very seriously. And we pray against him. And we bind him all the time. To cult Satanists 
Satan is very real indeed. And he requires a blood sacrifice as the ultimate blasphemy and sign of devotion to himself. And it happens all across the world on the night of October 31st. Now, why should not born-again Christians celebrate Halloween? Let me give you three good reasons, and then we'll close. Reason number one, because it represents everything Jesus gave his life to destroy. Halloween represents everything Jesus gave his life to destroy. Fear, terror, evil, darkness, and death. Jesus came to destroy every one of those things. Why would I want to celebrate something that crucified my Lord to a cross and he had to give his life to destroy? The Bible says the Son of God was manifested. He appeared. He invaded planet Earth to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. And that's exactly what happens when you give Jesus your life. Immediately, what the devil has done in your life, the way he has tried to destroy you and ruin you in your mind, the habits that you've taken into your life, all the things that he has done to take you down, immediately the Son of God begins to reverse the curse and destroy the works of the devil in your life. So we ought not be celebrating a holiday of darkness. We ought to be invading the holiday of darkness with the light. Now let me give you a second reason. Its origins, the origins of Halloween are completely occultic. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 20 and 21. Listen to these words, very powerful. He said, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. In another place, Paul said, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Halloween is based in, rooted in, sourced in, and stems from and has spawned from demonism and occultic darkness. How in the world do I have any fellowship with that? God repeatedly warned his people in the Bible. Did you know this? All the way back to the Old Testament, he warned them to become involved in nothing that was occultic. Listen to these words in Deuteronomy. God says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations that will be there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, who interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or who consults the dead. Listen to those words. Divination, sorcery, witchcraft, omens, spells, mediums, consulting the dead. Do you know, believer, that you ought not ever open up the paper and go to the horoscope page for any kind of direction or guidance on your life? Can I inform you of something today? You don't need guidance from a horoscope. The the stars are not dictating your future. You get your guidance from this book I hold in my hand. This is your guidance. This is the way God will lead you. See, what a lot of people don't understand is that behind occultic activity and occultic artifacts are demon spirits that can come into a home, that can come into a life, 
That's why if you've got a Ouija board in your house today, you go home and you burn that thing or throw it away. If you've got a a book on horoscopes that is seeking to lure you into or teach you horoscope, get rid of it. You see, there there are oppressive spirits that come with these things. I said in the first service, if you've got a big fat Buddha in your house sitting there like a statue, sell it on eBay and go get one of Jesus or something else. But get rid of it. Say, Pastor, aren't you being kind of extreme here? No, I'm not being extreme at all. We see in the book of Acts that when revival hit this one city, I believe it was Samaria, when revival hit, they gathered together all of their occultic artifacts and they had a great big bonfire that glorified God and they got rid of them as part of their repentance. Well, why would they bother to do that? Because those things carry occultic oppression. You're opening a gateway. You're opening a gateway into the realm of the spiritual. They really do. And that's why the enemy wants you. Some people wear things around their neck they ought to get rid of. If it's an occultic symbol you're wearing around your neck, I urge you to take a look at that and see what it's sourced in and get rid of it. Listen, we are children of light, not children of the dark. We don't promote the darkness. We don't lift up the darkness. We don't glorify the darkness. And we don't bring things of darkness into our homes. No, your home is supposed to be where the Spirit of God dwells, where the peace of God abides, where you feel joy. And people can come in there and say, boy, there's peace on that place. There's peace on that home. Did you know that the word... For drugs is pharmakia, and pharmakia is the word for sorcery. Even when you involve yourself in drugs, the enemy knows what he's doing. When you get involved in some kind of drug, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, pot. Oh, come on, Pastor Jeff, it doesn't hurt you to smoke pot. Man, are you deceived? You can't be that foolish. Of course it does. And pot is a gateway to other drugs. And when you get involved in the realm of drugs, you're opening your life up to sorcery. Divination, sorcery, omens, witchcraft, mediums, consulting the dead. God says anybody who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. I've heard people say, well, God was a God of love. Why did he tell his people to drive those nations out and a lot of the time to wipe them out? And here he tells us right here, why were these nations driven out by God? Why did God raise up his people and send them to the Philistines and the Hittites and Jebusites and all the otherites to drive them out of their land? He says right here, because they have been involved in divination, sorcery, omens, witchcraft, spells, mediums, and consulting the dead. So I'm going to drive them out. They're going to lose their land. And one of the verses in the Bible says, the land will spew you out itself when you do these things. Why was God so strong on this? Because if they involved themselves in these practices, it led them straight into the occult and into bondage. And did you know that Halloween is the most powerful time of the year for evangelism into the occult? It's been used to lure more young people into the occult than almost any other thing. Halloween is the way most people get introduced to occult practices. I want to invade it. I want to redeem the time. I want to carry lit lanterns into that darkness. And tonight, 
When we have our Halloween, we're not having Halloween, we're having a harvest festival. We're going to have a great, great time out here in our own parking lot. You can come and still make the Rangers game. And I'm going to say it in the middle of a message. What about those Rangers? They did it last night. I'm sorry. I've never seen more people pray. As in the eighth inning, are you, most of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, the camera panned into the audience, here's these people, oh God. I mean, couples holding hands, oh God. I said, I wish I could get them to pray like that for souls. Because you got four, two, Rangers. You got one on base, the Giants. You've got the tie-running batter up to hit. Count three, two. It's either going to be a ball and put another one on the base, or he's going to hit a home run and tie the game, or one strike, and they won. I've never felt more tension. I've never seen more agreement in prayer. I've never seen more belief in God. It let me know, they say there's no atheist in foxholes. There's no atheist in a World Series. And when he threw that strike and put that last giant out, what rejoicing there was in the stadium. Amen. I had to say that. Because Kathy and I were praying too. Oh God, just, just anointing, blessing. You know, just... Come on, give it to us for, for, the, for Josh's sake. I'm not being sacrilegious, but you got a believer on that team. And he hit a great home run too. Hallelujah. And we're going to bring him to speak. God said, the nations you will dispossess. Listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. Do you know that Saul, Israel's first king, started out really well? He expelled mediums. He kicked out the spiritists from the land and cleaned it up. But tragically, later, as he got further and further away from God, he finally went and consulted a medium. And after he consulted that medium, he ended up taking his own life. No, you don't want to open the door through the occult to the dark side and there is a dark side and it's real and behind it is a real devil no you want to open up the door to the bright side to the light side and jesus said i am the door he who enters in through me will enter into the real sheepfold he said i am the light of the world he said i am the bread of life he said i am the way and i am the truth and i am the life and when you enter in through the doorway named jesus then what you come out into is a world of light and joy and salvation and deliverance and redemption and healing. A third and last reason is we're to be imitators of God, not imitators of the enemy. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Let us therefore be imitators of God, copying Him and following His example as well-beloved children imitate their Father. Can you even for a moment imagine the Lord Jesus dressing up as Satan or a demon? Or as one of the demons he had cast out that week? 
Or perhaps as a Druid priest just because it was Halloween? Never. And if there had been a Halloween party in Jesus' day, I guarantee you he'd have crashed it. Jesus couldn't even preach a good funeral. He always raised the dead person from the dead. I mean, he ruined the funeral. I mean, Lazarus lived twice because Jesus visited his funeral. Instead, let's take this unholy holiday away from the devil and use it to reach people and glorify God, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So tonight, we're going to have a mini state fair out there in that parking lot. We're going to have a blast. We're going to have a lot of candy, a lot of uh, uh, um, prizes, a lot of games to play. We're going to have the jumping thingy that I'm going to maybe get on tonight and try it for the first time. They, they wanted me to get into a dunking booth and me be the one in it, but I don't want to be drowned. The people will come from all over the city to take advantage of that. I'm kidding. Sort of. But we're going to have a great time. And then, then we're going to do this. We're going to grab a microphone and we're going to share the gospel briefly. And we're going to draw the net and we're going to go for souls. And we're going to believe God to... I mean, if just one person comes out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God's dear son, it's worth the whole night. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going for souls. And I pray that tonight, satanic assignments that have been hatched in hell all over this country will be broken. And many will be saved instead. Can we stand together? I want us to pray over tonight, and I want you to pray. Seriously, if you have in your home anything occultic from your past, and you just haven't gone through your library or whatever and seen what you still have from the former days, and I would encourage you to get rid of occultic books <clears throat> that can bring an oppression into your home. I really do believe in the home being a place where the Spirit of God dwells. I really do. If you have any occultic jewelry, I would encourage you to get rid of it. If there's something like a Ouija board in your house, get rid of it. And ask God to put His peace on your home. And let's pray tonight that souls will be saved. Wednesday night, I'm going to be teaching on the Shepherd's Psalm, Psalms 23. And we're looking at He Restores My Soul. And it's a great one. Don't miss Wednesday night. Uh, we're going to bless you. The Word's going to bless you. But let's pray right now that tonight Jesus will be glorified. Father, we give tonight to you. We're not going to celebrate darkness. But we're going to celebrate the Lord of life. And we ask you, Lord, that tonight souls will be saved. People will be turned. Somebody will step out of darkness through the doorway into light. And Lord, thank you for children coming from all over the place. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you needed this today, give the Lord a hand of praise. And Kathy has an